This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello one, hello all. I am Ray Harkins and you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast in which I talk to people who are involved in independent music, love this weird thing that we are involved in, whether it's playing in bands, whether it's working in record labels, being a publicist, um, putting together zines, whatever it is that a person is doing that is attached to independent music, I want to talk to you. Or my favorite, what I like to call the secret punks. So these are people who have taken the principles that we have kind of learned within the context of punk, hardcore, indie rock, all that stuff, and then apply it to their daily life. Because there are a lot of people who, you know, they're just not going to be involved in music forever. They're on to other cool creative endeavors. And uh, a lot of people are kind of attached to that now at this point. So, but anyways, I I use that long preamble because I'm I'm trying to think of all the uh, nice things that I want to say about my guest today. And that is Blasco. Rob Blasco is the uh, bass player for Ozzy Osbourne, which is wild to say. And uh, he also is a manager, takes care of a lot of bands, uh, Black Veil Brides, a lot of other stuff that he's done over time. He also played in a band called Cryptic Slaughter back in the 80s. And uh, him and I became acquainted when I was working at Century Media Records. And uh, he was managing a band called In This Moment, which is still a quite a popular thing that exists out in the world. And uh, I just became just fast friends. Like we got along from a business perspective and then we also got along as human beings. And I've just always really respected, uh, his attitude and I love to have him on the show. And he, it was, it was funny at first, it was maybe it was about a year ago. I reached out and he was like, Oh yeah, like let, let's, let's meet up. And then we were trying to do it in person. And it was just like, man, even though he lives in LA and I live in orange County, which is not that far, it takes forever to like try to figure this out. And so I was just like, let's, let's hop on Skype and do it this way. He also does a great podcast called manage metal, uh, which basically him and another good friend of not only the show, but of me personally, Mike Mowry, who was a previous guest on the show, uh, they basically talk about uh, music industry stuff from a management perspective, and they really try to peel back the layers of uh, complexity that it takes to uh, work with bands in this independent music genre. So I would say highly suggest you check that out if you want more of the music industry side of things, uh, which, you know, I tread on in this podcast, but I don't make it a focal point. Anyways, uh, so yeah, that was Blasco. Uh, personally, things are going uh, pretty pretty well. Um, my wife will have uh, just gone under surgery by the time that I release this, even though I'm recording it before that. And uh, she is, uh, yeah. So she's got she's got some recovery to go under about four or five weeks. But hopefully, as long as everything goes according to plan, knock on wood. I'm here. I'm doing that. You heard me audibly knock on wood is that uh, she'll be able to like go back to work and kind of start to, you know, integrate back into normal life come late March, because really she hasn't worked since October. And for those of you that are completely in the dark, my wife has been battling cancer and um, I like to give these little outposts because frankly, the amount of people that have written me and uh, just kind of been like, hey, I'm a stranger. I just love your show. And I really like how you are, you know, sharing this side of yourself, because I was I, at the start of this, I was like, yeah, I could not talk about it, but that's not going to, that's not truthful to me. And that's not truthful to the nature of the show. It's like, I don't want to hide the bad stuff that is happening to me and just act like everything is normal. So anyways, I always got to put that in there because, uh, yeah, that's basically what my life is surrounded by. But, um, 
yeah so i think that's i think that's all for now oh actually no one one other note um so i feel weird because i haven't been to a show this year like i've been to live events but not a particular show and so like here we are in mid-february and i I feel very strange about that Um, not like there hasn't been opportunities but i mean obviously there's been a lot of stuff going on in my life that has pulled me away from that and i've just wanted to be at home with her but uh, yeah, I just feel weird. So, I, and actually, I think March is one of the first couple of shows I'm going to be able to go to from uh, friends that are touring through and what have you. But uh, yeah, it just feels weird. But um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there as a casual observation. But, anyways, I hope you were doing well. And uh, here, we're just going to dive right into the conversation with uh, Blasco. Great, great human being and uh, very insightful and fun chat. So, here we go. Here's Blasco. Usually when a person has been in the industry for a while, there's like, uh, you know, maybe some preconceived notions on how a person would be, you know, before you actually get to work with them. But I, I, walking into working with you, no one said anything, you know, over, overly negative on like, oh, yeah, like Rob, well, you got to watch out for him. He's kind of a dick or whatever. <laughs> um, but so and then once you and I started working together, I was like, wow, like, I don't know if we just uh, we fell in sync with each other pretty quickly. Um, and you always struck me as a very easy dude to work with, regardless if you're dealing with shitty situations or not. Um, but because of that, like, I guess maybe this is a difficult question for you to answer, but like, do you find yourself being a generally like easygoing person or is that something that you kind of like learned over time that you needed to, you know, maybe relax a little bit if in your earlier years you were more, uh, you know, more stubborn or whatever? It's quite possible that, when we were working together, that was so many years ago that I was new to the business to where I still had a good reputation to where that if you were still working in the music business now, there would be more people that you would run across to go like, oh yeah, that guy, he's such an ass. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I feel like I'm pretty chill. You know what I mean? There's, it's, it would, I've been managing now for 12 years. So it would have been an impossibility for me not to ruffle a few feathers along the way. Um, but, uh, for the most part, like, I feel like, you know, your assessment of me is pretty good. (laughs) Well, that, that, that's good. I mean, I, I I guess I always relate it back to, to the fact that, um, I do sense a, um, sort of generational difference in the way that a lot of people do business, you know, you know, even though you are, you know, older than me in age, but there are people that have this, this, uh, in my opinion, outdated way of doing business where I'm just going to yell at you until you give me what I want. Like, I, you, you never struck me as that person where it's like, oh man, I just, I, I can't wait to pick up this phone and yell at a person, even though, you know, you would be firm with people, but I, I never thought that you would be like flying off the handle and people are just like, oh fuck, I guess I just gotta, I guess I just gotta give him what he wants or whatever. I may have come in at a transitional time to where those guys were becoming dinosaurs because before the age of the internet, um, there was, you know, there was really just the phone was the, the, the method of communication other than in person. Right. But if you wanted to communicate with someone to, you know, if you're a manager or a booking agent, it was just the phone. Um, and those types of people, there were more of like the screamers and the, the really difficult to deal with types of people. But 
I believe that in the, the digital age, that those people became less and less. Of course, there's still some of them around, but I don't see people coming into my circumference that are fresh, that are like that. The only people that you hear about or have reputations about are people that are those dinosaurs that are kind of still hanging around for whatever reason. But, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those types of people have really had to either you know, surround themselves with people that weren't like that. Um, or, or they just died off. Like they just, you know, they just died off like the dinosaurs that they are. Um, because it's just like, no, we now, now in this business, you don't have to deal with someone like that. You don't have to deal with a screamer. Like I just, you know what I mean? Like think about it, like in your daily, you know, business life, like if someone called you up, that was this boisterous, like loud, abrasive, demanding type of person. You just be like, later, dude. You know, <laughs> and and yeah. and, uh, and you would just deal with someone else that had the same, you know, that, that was dealing with the same whatever it was that you needed to deal with them for. But like, there's, you're not going to get anything out of me or you acting like that it's just there's just no room and there's just no room in the world for that type of like negative really type of attitude you know um and uh and uh yeah man so like i've been fortunate not to be be around those types of people or have to work with those types of people nor nor did I think that I had to because you know what like you know what there are there are people that think that they have to act that way yeah, it, it, which is really disturbing. Like I've got, I've got to act like one of those old guys, and and, and like you're like, no man, like that's not how we get things done anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> totally. It's like you, you know the the saying of you catch more flies with honey. It's like it, it is such a thing where. <clears throat> The, the the nicer you are to people, the more they're going to want to help you out. And in turn, that helps you out while also it helps this other person out. And it's just that sort of perpetuating, you know, karmic cycle of like, yeah, as long as we're dealing with each other like respectable human beings, no one's going to walk away being like, oh, my God, you're the worst person ever. It's like, well, no, I like that sucked dealing with that. But they dealt with it, you know, as rationally as you could. Yeah, I mean, look, wh- <laughs> I mean, you kind of got to laugh about it, right? In the sense that we make we make our living off of rock and roll. Like, you know, it's like, man, there's really no reason to be angry about that. You know, there's really no reason. There's really no reason to be a dick about that. It's like we we hustle metal. Yeah. Like, as and that pays our mortgages. Like, we should whenever we get on the phone together, we should only be laughing right. hysterically. <laughs> totally. The fact that we have chosen this career path and we've successfully pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like there's yeah. If you're connected to you know bringing entertainment to people, it's like dude, the most inconsequential thing on the entire planet. And then we've been able to you know ostensibly make a living out of it. It's like well, that makes no sense. You're you're, you're very right um you and f- focusing on you yourself were you uh you you strike me as a very very much west coast based dude how where, where were you born and raised where did you come up so i was born and raised in la hence why i come off like a west coast dude <laughs> sure um for sure um but i you know but like most la people you know i bounced around a lot but um i ended up i went to high school in venice um 
so Venice High, um, you know, uh, class of 1988, woohoo! Nice, uh, sh- showing my age. But th- that was that was the era of Cryptic Slaughter. Whenever I was in that band was was when I was in high school. And um, granted, all the other dudes went to Santa Monica High, um, which is you know just kind of on the other side of the city. Um, but um, but yeah, that's that's where you know that's kind of where I uh, cut my teeth, so to speak. Sure, sure. sure. And what uh, what was your family structure like? Were you know brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house, or where were you uh, kind of ending up there? Yeah, at that time it was like mom and stepdad, only child, and uh, man, during that time I just really my my brother was Scott, the drummer of Cryptic Slaughter, and I spent more time at his house than you know my own really at at, at that point because we'd rehearse or hang out or whatever, and it was just eat, eating his food and. Like I think that I owe his parents thousands of dollars for all the food that you know we ate since we lived over there so much, you know, at this point. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of what it was. I feel like you know my brothers and, and family was really you know cryptic slaughter and, and those dudes at at that time um, because it, it was like you know we we went to school and like we just couldn't wait to meet up at the garage and rehearse, <laughs> you know, right. jam so, out. Yeah, that was it, you know. And so, uh, what, what was your uh, family trade? You know, what did your mom do for a living, and stepdad, and uh, what were they? Because uh, I, I'm only guessing that once you started to, you know, get into metal and bring all this stuff home, I'm sure they were kind of like, "What the hell is Rob into? This doesn't make any sense to us at all." Or were they supportive? Well, no, they were supportive. I mean, look at at an early age. I remember going to my mom and going like, "I want to. Can you take me to the record store so I can buy a Kiss record?" And they're like, and she's like we have rock and roll records here. Look, look at this Peter, Paul and Mary record. And I'm like, no, they see, that's not my jam. That's your jam. And my jam is kiss. So you're going to have to take me to a store and buy me a kiss record. So that was like early on. Right. right? <laughs> and, and so that, that definitely shaped, you know, my future, right, right out of the gate. So by the time that I'm in high school playing in a punk rock speed metal band, asking for you know flying v guitars for christmas like this this was like this was no surprise but 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 you know but honestly too it's like the the fact that at 15 years old i've got a record deal and i'm putting out records in high school and going on tour and doing all that stuff granted i wasn't bringing home any money but the point of it is is like it seemed beyond a hobby Right. Because it was like I had a record deal at 15 years old. That's pretty crazy. Right. And and, I mean, I'm guessing that even though you were legitimized in the sense of, you know, independent music, were your, you know, were your parents being like, Rob, this band thing is is cool and I'm glad you're having fun with it. But, you know, like, let's get real. Like, where's where's your future vision going? Well, on one hand, yes. Like my mom, like they were in real estate, right? So like, my, like my stepdad was like a banker, and like my mom was in escrow, and then they ended up building like their own like escrow business. But keep in mind that you can say that on one hand, but on the other hand, they grew weed and sold it to their friends on the side. So how seriously can I, can I take what you say? Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like on one hand, yes, you're adults, but on the other hand, you grow and sell weed. So like, I don't have to listen to you because you're a criminal on the same token. (laughs) Right? 
Yeah, that's it. That's incredible. You're like, you guys are le- you guys are legit to the like the surface level. But I know what you're really doing behind the scenes. That's amazing to have that perspective. Right to where it's like, well, you really can't tell me like you know, you really can't talk to me about future. Really, you know what I mean? Like at the, at, at that point, like I don't ha- I don't feel like I have to listen. Right, right. Oh, that, uh, that's very, um, I'm sure in, in certain respects, it was very empowering for you because you felt like you had more autonomy on your own rather than, you know, living under your parents' thumb. Yeah, I mean, look, it was, and it was one of those things to where it was like, man, like it literally went down like this. Like I graduated high school. The next day I went on tour for like three weeks across the U.S., we can't, we on the drive home from Detroit, I think was the last show on the drive home from there, we broke up and we got home and I went home and packed all my stuff and me and the guitar player found a apartment to move into and we lit and we moved out of our parents' houses. <laughs> like, like it went down that fast and, it, and then it was just like, you know, then it was just getting real at that point, you know? Well, and I find it the, the timing of it all also, you know, really interesting because, you know, when Cryptic Slaughter was, was forming is like you mentioned, kind of in their early eighties when you guys were in high school and, you know, clearly it was, you know, before, the hair metal stuff completely descended on that area in the, you know, whatever, 85, 86. So it's like you guys were doing this not only completely separate from that scene, but like, you know, completely separate from a a lot of other scenes that were just starting to bubble up. Like, you know, obviously the, you know, black flag and punk scene in LA was suicidal tendencies as well. And so you guys were just like, like this weird band that kind of existed on the fringes of a lot of things. Yeah, and it and it existed because we were all in high school and we all did live at home, so we didn't have responsibilities. And that's partially why we broke up on the way home after we had graduated because it was like, man, whenever we get home, like, what are we doing with our lives, you know? And, like, one guy wanted to get married and another guy wanted to, like, go to college and another guy, you know what I mean? Like, we all had different interests um, at that point. And, um, and so then, then it was a matter of, you know, needing to, to kind of put reality in perspective. And, and, and that's what happened. So, so yeah, man, like, it, it existed because, because of that. And you're right, it was sort of a, a cultish fringe crossover time period of like when when metal could be punk and punk could be metal and we were we were part of that whole thing and and um and for whatever reason we were one of the more popular bands like you know when when i listen back to that stuff i just go like why wasn't you know why wasn't this band more popular than us or you know you you know whatever it's like at that point like you're kind of just doing it just to have fun and and the fact that we had a record deal and we were doing all that stuff that was just kind of like we were just going, we were just going along with it, you know? And, and, um, and it didn't, and now like in hindsight, whenever I talk about whenever, you know, naturally now I manage bands. Right. And I, and I, 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 I deal with people in the industry and I deal with like young band people all the time. And, and, and like, you know, and I get the question like, well, where did you start? How did you start? And I go, man, I just got like, we just sent a demo tape in the metal blade and they sent us back a contract and we signed it. And then like, and then like by the time I graduated high school, I had already put out three records, (laughs) you know? Totally. Totally. 
it's and it's so funny because I love. I mean, everybody always asks that question, and every you know music industry panel is always like, you know, like so what? Uh, you know, how do I get like my foot in the door? How do I get started? And you know, if you just even spent fifteen minutes looking up, you know, three people you respect within the music industry, you can look at the most random paths of how they ended up on doing what they're doing. And none of them are similar. So it's, you're just, it's like, uh, yeah. So how do you get in? You're like, I don't know. You just build something and then maybe something will work out. It's like, there's no secret potion behind this. There really isn't. I mean, I, I just tell people like, you just got to go for it. Like you, you, you know what I mean? Like you can't overthink it. And then, and then in hindsight, if you ask any, you know, any of those situations that you could potentially analyze or do a case study on, none of them are the same, and none of them sat around and go, "Guys, check it out! I have this idea. We're going to start this band, and this band is going to be the fastest band in the world. Like we're going to be fast. Like like no one plans out like what they do. You know what I mean? Like it just right. like you just." You just go for it. Like, don't overthink it. Like, it's like any, like I said, any of those situations, man, like they just went for it and they just did it and they, and it was for real. And, and also too, I think there's probably the common trait of that. You have to have nothing to lose also. You know, it's like, if you're worried about, man, like if this doesn't work out, like I have to get like a job or I'm going to lose my wife or like, how am I going to feed my kid? Or it's like, man, like you, like, you know, you really got to go into it and just be like, let's just roll, man. Like I got nothing to lose, right? you know? And I think that would probably be a common trait in any of those situations as well. Absolutely. Why did, uh, why were you attracted to bass? Because, you know, usually the bass player is, uh, the person who, is not interested in playing six strings and is like, Oh, a bass is probably easier. Um, or was it a function of all your friends already played other instruments? And so you kind of just fell into the, the bass role or were, did you just love bass immediately? Well, no, I, I love drums immediately. Okay. Um, but at that time you got to figure, right? Like drums was drums. Like the only place that you're playing drums is somewhere where you can play them loudly. Um, and I didn't, and I quickly didn't have that opportunity. So practically, I got into bass because it was something that had a volume knob, right? I could play it. I could play it anywhere. Um, but it was also too of like all. Well, I know a lot of singers, and I know a lot of I know a lot of guitar players, but I don't know any bass players. So practically, if I play bass, I could probably get in a band. Sure, sure enough. That is what the, that was what my whole hired gun career has been privy to is that Danzig needed a bass player, Prong needed a bass player, Rob Zombie needed a bass player, and Ozzy Osbourne needed a bass player. <laughs> so totally. you know, you know, I suppose that my practical uh, vision of like, hey man, like if I'm this guy, I'm one of something that there's very few of. And so be it. Interesting, yeah. This, you're basically the uh, the utility player. You can just step in and be like, "Oh yeah, dude, I know I know how to lay down the low end. Like, no problem. I'll step right in." <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm your I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I'm right. I'm right there. I'm right, I'm right there when you need me. So yeah. And that was it. Like I was played bass, and I was like, "Well, I could. I just joined a band immediately." And that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like we were good or whatever. But man, like we found the guy that had that was the drummer that had the garage that his parents let him play loudly in the garage, and then that was 
and that was as simple as that, you know, sure. and, then, and we, and I just wanted to, and then that was it. Once, once that happened, then it was just game on, you know? Right. And, and then, and then like, yeah. And then when cryptic slaughter like broke up, like I was the only guy really that was like die hard. Like, man, I, I'm chasing the rock and roll dream. Like screw you guys, you know, like I'm, I'm going for it. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. Right. And the, there's two, two threads I wanted to pull on there. One, you know, I mean the, the, the rock and roll dream, you know, I mean, I know you kind of use that as a sort of tongue in cheek way to describe it because, you know, I, I presume that the tours that you were doing with cryptic slaughter were successful, you know, moderately speaking, but not in the way that it's like, you know, Oh cool. Like here we are playing in New York city in front of, you know, 5,000 people. It's like, you know, you guys were playing, um, you know, whatever to 100 to 300 people uh, across the country. I could be completely wrong, but like, you know, the, the idea that people immediately put the cart in front of the horse and are like, all right, well, I'm going to be the biggest band in the world when you don't realize that it takes so many, you know, blood, sweat and tears in order to get to a position to even possibly play in front of like 500 people. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we were playing dumps and, you know, we were doing something that wasn't necessarily very popular. I mean, you got to figure this is the mid eighties, right? So there was no internet. Like this is all tape traders, you know, guys putting cassette tapes in padded envelopes and mail them to one another. And you, you, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was underground, man. And, and, um, but it, like, once again, though, you know, we, we, you know, you're sleeping on people's floors, you're siphoning gas, you're stealing hamburgers from AMPM. Like, I mean, like you're doing what you can do to survive while doing it. But keep in mind that we were 16 years old. You know what I mean? Like you can do that at 16 years old, not at 46 years old. Would I still be doing that? You know, my love for my love for uh, crossover speed metal is doesn't go that deep, you know? Support for this podcast comes from Toyota and their new 2017 Highlander. If you're like me, when the weekend comes, you don't want to just sit around the house. You want to get out with the family, explore new places, and try new things. Maybe check out a science museum, hit a festival, or just head out into nature. Well, the new Toyota Highlander is the perfect vehicle for discovery. It starts on the outside with its sleek design and aggressive new front grille that say you have an attitude for adventure. Its improved powertrain makes it more fun to drive and more fuel efficient than ever. It has Toyota Safety Sense technology standard, including a pre-collision system and lane departure alert. It even has five USB charging ports because you know the last thing you want is for someone's device to run out of power. And one of my favorite features is Driver Easy Speak, which lets you broadcast what you say to the rear seats so your passengers can hear you. It doesn't mean they'll listen, but at least they can hear you. So navigate to your nearest Toyota dealer or toyota.com and see why there's always more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. See the owner's manual for additional limitations and details. The TSS pre-collision system is not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. Lane departure alert is not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. Whew. That's that, but the long and the short of it, is that Toyota Highlander is real and they're supporting this podcast. Go out, test drive it, check it out. It's an incredible car. Now, on with the show. Since you said you had no other focus once you started to kind of tour and everything like that, did you immediately take to touring and like touring? Or was that something that you learned over time to uh, adjust and you understand what it was like to, you know, be away from home and all that other stuff? 
I just like, I just liked it. I, I thought, you know, I just liked the whole idea of being in a band and, and making music and doing that. And then whatever came along with it. Um, you know, it's interesting to think too, right. Whenever, you know, you're out there touring and you're with just like a bunch of teenagers and you're in a van and this is the mid eighties, like your only connection to home is if you can scrape up some change to, and find a payphone and call home and just be like, Hey, just so you know, I'm still alive. You know, and, and which of course they may or may not be there whenever you call, cause God knows whenever you're calling. So, you know, I got to give my parents a lot of credit for letting their teenage kid get in the van with a bunch of other teenage kids who have rented this van that only is supposed to drive locally. So we disconnect the odometer so that it doesn't rack up miles that we're driving across the country. You know, like it was, it was like, it was, you know, some pretty punk rock stuff. And I get, I got to give my credits a lot, a lot of, uh, I got to give my parents a lot of credit for letting me do that with no real, no real guarantee that I was coming home, (laughs) you know, like anything could have happened while we were out there and they theoretically wouldn't have known about it. Right. Right. (laughs) No, that's brutal. Um, and so the, uh, like you said, once, once cryptic slaughter came to an end, you were, you had no other focus other than to, you know, do something with music, whether that was, you know, working in the music industry or or playing in bands and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I presume that you had to, crash land and sort of you know do whatever random you know day jobs to keep yourself afloat in between the time that you know you were not <laughs> actually making a little oh yeah man and like what was your hustle and, and uh it was man i did a bunch of random stuff you know i think primarily i did like retail so i worked at like lip service and na na and and stuff so like you know it was like the it was like the hip rock and roll retail thing that i did um which was cool because everyone that worked at those places was just you know struggling musicians too um so it all kind of made sense but then i and then i feel like i whenever i ended up like in the bar situation that was the one that kind of made a lot of sense because it was a flexible thing to where you could come and go you could get shifts covered you could go on tour and you, you know what i mean like you could go on tour for two weeks and someone could cover your shift and then when you get back you can you, you so you wouldn't because before if you went on tour you'd have to quit your job and find a new one whenever you get back right. so so whenever i kind of fell into the the bar situation that was something that was a flexible uh you know job that that you know you could work around the touring thing and then um and then, and then it wasn't long after that um, the the Rob Zombie thing happened. And then once that started to happen, then I know I haven't had a, a real job since. I don't think. Sure, sure. And you know, because you were traveling in the uh, rock and roll circuit, that was you know definitely debaucherous, and people were you know getting really really swallowed up in you know addiction, heavy drugs, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, did you, was that just something that never, you know, really interested you or, you know, you were able to kind of, uh, I guess sample it, but never be swallowed by it. Um, you know, how did you navigate that? Because I imagine, um, you know, that was probably difficult being surrounded by it constantly. Uh, partially, I believe some of it comes from the fact that I was born and raised here. Um, and the other part of it is probably that I'm a very determined and focused individual and i'm just not interested in in getting caught up and getting messed up but 
I suppose that a lot of people are that way, but you know, you, and, and I saw it a lot. And that's what I say is like by being born and raised here, like I saw a lot of people come here, like this was some fantasy land, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to come to LA and, and, and that's where dreams happen. Whether it's like, you know, rock or acting or whatever it is. It's like this entertainment Mecca capital of the world where you, where you come and your dreams happen because it happened to this actor and that musician. And that's what they did. And so it's going to happen to me. Um, and, and if you live here, you know that that's not true. So, so maybe, maybe partially it's that. And then the other part of it, like I said, is that these people come here and they get roped into that world. And, and that was never my world. Like I was never into that. Like I just wanted, I just, I just wanted to rock and I just wanted to, I just wanted to do cool stuff. And, and I just never, I, I just was never, I just never had the character attributes of someone that would have an addictive personality or, or just get roped into like a, that sort of slummy sort of creepy way of life. But you know, I don't know, man. Like I, I it's, I, it's probably just like, I was probably raised properly as well. Like I got to give my parents credit again for, you know, raising me in a good environment and middle-class family. And, you know, and like, and, and, and also part of it, I think a lot of it too is the individual, right? Like I just, I just never wanted to, I just never wanted to be like a screw up like that. You know, I just kind of always wanted to deliver the, the goods to myself, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, that the concoction of how I was able to uh, escape that is probably in there somewhere. Yeah, it's, I, I just find it interesting because it's very rare. I mean, honestly, there are very few people that, you know, I have met that have lived through that era and were like very much entrenched in it and, you know, came out the other side like being, you know, uh, this not only the same person, but just like not this like shell of themselves it's like you know like we're with a person who i know you know like jason upright it's like he's another person who is completely entrenched in a similar scene as yours i mean granted he didn't play in bands but you know he was he moved out to la to you know be a part of the whole sunset strip scene and he didn't get swallowed up by drugs or anything like that it's like you hear more stories and granted the uh stories of people you know the debaucherous nature of everybody during that time uh, is more interesting than a person you know such as yourself who's just like oh yeah i just uh, didn't do any of it <laughs> you know there's there's less to talk about there but uh, yeah and 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 too like now that i that, like i'm kind of reflecting on it, it, it like no, none of the four cryptic slaughter guys none of us got roped into that you know we're all born and raised la guys and we all went our separate ways in 1988 but none of us went down some weird dark spiral like everyone you know moved laterally upward into whatever their trajectory was but whatever it was it was all positive you know um and stuff so so there has to be something in it there has to be something in there that we were raised right. There, being from LA, you, you get it. You gain a sense of perspective, um, or something. I don't know. I mean, I have to. You know, there's really no no way to truly analyze it. But I, I just think it's interesting now that we're talking about it that you know those guys all you know were were successful in their own rights and never went down some weird creepy path. Yeah, no that that is very that is very interesting because yeah you I, I doubt you could trace the lineage of many bands you know not only of your era but of the era you know a couple of years after you um, with the same <laughs> the same <laughs> the same quote no. unquote success rate so yeah that's that's crazy no doubt yeah <laughs> um, and so uh, you know I, 
like you mentioned, you you know you played a lot with uh, you know Rob Zombie, and obviously had experience with with Danzig as well. And that you know you you jumped around to a lot of bands um, within the you know early early to mid nineties. Um, but you know, as you started to play these shows as you know a ostensibly a hired gun, but you were playing these shows that were you know probably twice to three times as large as you ever have was there any kind of trepidation that you had walking into these scenarios where you felt like okay well i haven't played in front of you know two thousand people before but uh well here it goes um and just kind of fake it till you make it sort of stuff you know what's interesting is it's way less intimidating to play in front of 10 20 30, people than it is to play in front of five of your friends at the local bar. Like that is the worst. Like it is super nerve wracking. You feel dumb. Like, you know, I mean, there's so much about playing in front of a small amount of people that just makes you want to jump off the tallest building, but playing in front of, hundreds of thousands of people is like the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> like it, 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 it really is because it's like, because there's so many people, it's like, it's like, it's not even real. You know, it, it's like, there's, they're just faceless. They're just like, you just, you don't, you're, you're not connecting with anybody, you know, like you can't reach out and touch anybody. Like it's, it's just, it's just this unreal, like oasis of, uh, you, you know, like just sea of people that it, it's just this, like, I can't even explain it, but it's just like, but going into it, like, you know, like the first time you get on stage in front of a festival of thousands of people, like you're just like, Oh, well that was easy. Right. You know, it just, it just goes by really fast and like, you don't even think about it. And, and, and then that's, that's all there is. And then you just go like, well, so much for being nervous about that. And then you just go on from there and yeah, it's just, it just, it just quickly becomes no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. You, you just don't even think about it. It does make sense when, you know, you, you do start to play larger shows and the, um, you know, the connectivity starts to lessen because you don't feel that immediacy of, you know, the, the people's sweat mixing with your sweat because you're in, you know, a, a room of 200 people or whatever and you are able to you know it's how everyone talks about public speaking where it's like you imagine the audience you know being completely naked <laughs> it's like that, right. that, it's like the same effect where it's just like oh yeah this is just like you know i'm playing in front of like yeah ten thousand people but it could very well be just you know a hundred thousand it doesn't matter like once you reach a certain point it just becomes kind of this this you know body of energy as opposed to you know human beings exactly exactly um and so, you know, as you started to, uh, you know, find yourself more of being that, you, you, you know, utility bass player where people were like, oh, yeah, call up Blasco. And you would you had networked with everybody and, you know, your reputation was uh, positive enough where people wanted to work with you. Um, did it uh, did you ever get that kind of creative itch internally where you were like, I, I want to do my own thing? Like, it's cool to be playing all these rock shows and doing all of these, you know, cool tours and stuff like that. Um or, or did, was that itch that you maybe had to create was manifested in different ways? Never. And that probably has a lot to do with my success as a, uh, as a hired gun is, is that there was no burning desire to, to be my own guy, to be a front man, to, to write my own songs. Like I was very, like, 
for whatever it's worth, I feel that it's fortunate that I could uh, self-analyze myself well enough to know to where like, you know what? You're not a good songwriter. You should leave that up to people that do that professionally. Like just do what you're best at. Be a cool guy, show up on time and make the guy whose name is on the ticket look like the rock star that he is. Like that's, that's what you do best. And just do that, (laughs) you know, just, just, just be the best guy at being that guy. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I never like, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a creative person, but I've been able to, I've been able to put that into other areas to kind of scratch that itch, if you will. Um, but my, my area of, uh, of like creativity and stuff isn't, isn't with, isn't with like my own band and any of that stuff that I do have, I can, I can share with and give to the bands that I work with or whatever. Like, Hey man, I got this great idea. Da, 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 da. And then, and then it's kind of one of those things like in my mind, I look at it like, well, you know, you can, you can do that because I'm not going to do that, but you're still young. <laughs> you, do, you can, you can try this idea that I'm not, that I have no opportunity to try, you know, and, um, and stuff. So, so I'm able to kind of get that out within, within working with bands and working, you know, working with the bands that, that, that I manage and, and whatnot. So I'm able to kind of get that out with, with, with them and in those situations. That's cool. Yeah. I really like that because, you know, it, it peels away any, uh, egoness about, you know, playing music. Cause you know, there are people that enter, the entertainment industry with the idea that uh, obviously I'm the most special snowflake in the world and everyone needs to pay attention to me. But clearly there needs to be the flip side of that where the people are just like, I just love playing music and like, I don't care who this is glorifying. I just like the actual performance of said music, you know? The biggest mistake that I see hired gun people like myself make is that they, because they're playing in front of a lot of people and they're, they're in a situation that is, you know, they're in a situation that's big. They play in front of a lot of people. They sell a lot of records. They do a lot of business. And the trap that I see a lot of people fall into uh, is that they, they feel like those people are there for them. And they do this sort of mathematical equation of like, well, if there's 10,000 people in the room and I'm one-fourth of the band, theoretically <laughs> – if I started my own thing, 25% of these people would come along for the ride with me. I love that. <laughs> no way is that happening. Right. You know, and, 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 and I have always laughed that off every time I see it happen because it's just so incredibly ridiculous. Um, and, um, but I see a lot of people fall into that trap and every time I'm just like, I'm like, watch what happens with this guy. And <laughs> right. They, and every time it happens, you know, yeah, it just cra- crashes and burns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and, and mainly because it's not, it's not. And to clarify, it's not because it's not because the music's bad or, or whatever. It's because they go into it with this sort of ideology of that 
it's going to be easy because whenever you're in those situations, it does look easy because everything, everyone is doing everything for you. And, and as you walk on stage, someone hands you your guitar and you go up there and you, and you put your hand in the air and make the devil horns and like 10,000 people scream back at you. It looks super easy. Like, like, Oh man, if, if this guy can do it, I can do it. Right. And so the reason why it fails is because they go in there with this attitude of that everything is easy. And when they quickly realize that everything isn't easy, it falls apart so fast. Yeah, absolutely. It has uh, nothing to do with the music at all. No, right. Yeah, it's just, it's right. I definitely understand your point. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 sensibly, the you know largest thing that you have done from a performance levels, you know, like you mentioned earlier, playing with Ozzy, um, and that is, you know, a whole different beast in and of itself because, you know, even though playing with Danzig and Rob Zombie, those guys are iconic as well. Um, you know, was that when you first started to, I guess, get uh, ingested into that solar system, was it, uh, again, was it one of those things that was really uh, surreal or you felt like you had, uh, I guess, all of, I, I know you had the technical chops to play all the songs, but um, was there a lot of like uh, moments where you just were like, what, what the fuck am I doing here, man? This is wild that this is happening. <laughs> oh, I, it, man, it still is like, like, if if I'm on stage with uh, not if every single time that I'm on stage with Ozzy and we go into like War Pigs or something and I look I look over there and he's singing it like I'm just like there is no way that this is real like at some point like I'm going to wake up from this fantasy of mine you know what I mean like it's just not real like like it, for instance it was Rob Zombie's birthday yesterday and I texted him like hey dude happy birthday and he and he replies back with like a thumbs up emoji and like. I almost wanted to screen capture that and post it on Instagram just to be like, see, like I know cool people like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like that's how much, like I kind of don't believe that this whole thing is, is real. And like, it just, it just, I still feel like, like I'm a 20, you know, like I still feel like a 20 year old kid that's just figuring it out and like, doesn't even believe that he's like, you know, rubbing elbows with these guys. (laughs) Right. Right. Totally. That's amazing. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing, too, that there were times of, uh, you know, low points for you in regards to, you know, pursuing this, this you know, creative uh, utility music player career, you know, and how, how, what sort of things did you do, you know, just mentally to get yourself through those times where it was just like, all right, like, you know, I, no, no one's calling me right now. Like, there's no, nothing, you know, super promising on the horizon um, or, you know, or did things kind of, you know, thankfully continue to flow positively within that context well uh, you when i got the aussie gig that was the eye opener because it, it, i mean as a hired gun right like you have these moments where you know you're only getting paid when you're working and if there's moments when the singer guy is working on something else and you're not working then you got to figure it out right and that was none more clear than when I got the Aussie gig and I was like, you know, I was like at a certain age when I got that gig. And then I was like, Oh, Holy crap, man. Like, I'm just like, I just climbed to the top of the mountain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's nowhere, there's nowhere left to climb. And so like, I better figure out like what I'm going to do. Like, cause like, this isn't going to last forever. You know, eventually he's going to retire. You know, and, and, and eventually, and there, for sure there's going to be gaps in between tours and, and whatnot. And I needed to get real with my life, you know? So 
that was the, that was the moment when I go, man, I, I, I really got to figure out what I'm going to do so that, you know, I can go into like my fifties, you know, with like not sleeping on people's couches and being one of those like Hollywood crusters that just like, dude, like I play in this big rock band, but can I sleep on your couch? And like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, a lifer, bro. Yeah, and and that like spent his advance on like the BMW, but it's the BMW from like seven years ago when you first got the gig, but you still have the same one, and it's like beat up, you know, like in Boogie Nights, you know, when he, <laughs> you know, it's like you become you quickly become that guy, and I was like, I don't want to be that guy, man, you know, yeah. and 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 I also too, I had to get real with myself in that like. Man, like I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy in the like the be all end all of band. Like I don't want to be in the Ozzy Osbourne band. And then when that ends, like I don't want to be the guy that has to go figure it out and like go back to the troubadour with my bros. Like I don't want. I don't. I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? I don't want to be. I don't like. No offense to those people, but like I don't. I don't love playing music that much. Like I love playing War Pigs with Ozzy Osbourne, but I don't. I. I don't. I don't this isn't this isn't how i'm going to continue to make a living right Right. like this is how i make a living now but i'm going to have to figure i'm going to have to use this time to figure out how i'm going to make a living in the future so 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 that's you know i mean more or less that's around the time that we met in that that's that's whenever i started to transition into managing because that was the thing that was the business that i was building that because i i kind of go like i love music I want. I still want to be involved in music, but I know that I can't be some fifty-year-old dude like getting on. Like I can't be a hired gun bass player guy forever, right? I've had a good run, and like I gotta like keep it real. And um, but I but I knew that in my heart of hearts, like I I was like I gotta I, I still gotta be rock and roll. Like I still gotta be in in music or at least like a rock and roll attitude. Like I got I, I gotta be something. I can't like. I can't be some like nine to five or like a real estate or like, you know what I mean? Something that I have no interest in. Right. Um, and, and that's what I did. Like I started a management company and, and, uh, and picked up some bands and those first couple of bands were century media bands. And then here comes Ray Harkins. Right. right. (laughs) Well, I I like, I like the attitude where, you know, I, I think it's something that a lot of people, uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't have the foresight or perspective to kind of calculate this, but you're just looking at wanting to be connected to something you love, you know, whatever. It's the old cheesy saying that, you know, you, you'll never work a day in your life if you like what your job is or whatever the fuck it says. I don't yeah, know. But, yeah, yeah. but, you know, a lot of people, they, they don't, they view only one path towards that, you know, where it's like, okay, if I don't get this, then everything else below that is a failure. And it's like, well, no, like there are a million other avenues in which you can explore being connected to music and still have the same, uh, you know, the same connectivity that you have it, but you know, maybe you're not performing or maybe you're not working a record label or whatever. Um, but it's cool that you had the foresight to be able to, you know, realize that, yeah, I could still be connected to this and still be passionate about music, but you know, I don't have to be like you said that, uh, because there's nothing that's more sad than a person who is doing the thing well past the expiration date <laughs> and you're just like, oh gosh, like you don't know how to do anything else? Like, is this the only thing you know how to do? <laughs> yeah, which is fine if you can continue to do it, right? But but for me, I'm like, well, I have no skills other than just like being the cool dude that shows up on time, which is great, 
but like, I don't like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not a songwriter. Like, I mean, I, I got, I got no skills that are going to propel me into the, uh, future, uh, you know, the rock and roll hall of fame, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going there unless I'm along for the ride with somebody else. And, um, so, so yeah, so it was, but, but it was like, but, but I was like, man, but like, I gotta, it's gotta be rock and roll, whatever it is. It's gotta be a rock and roll attitude, you know? And, and, um, so yeah, so that's, that's how that started. But yeah, man, it started at that, at that kiss record, that first kiss record. That's it was just, it's been that path the whole time. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and so I was, I was like, man, like no matter what it is, like it's, it's got, I gotta, I gotta wake up every day and be stoked about what I'm doing, which fortunately, like that quote you said, that's, yeah, that's it. You know, like I, I, I'm fortunate and you know, man, I thank my lucky stars every day that I get to get up and do whatever, uh, you know, do whatever I want to do. But on the same token, it's, it's got, you know, I'm up at six 30 and I'm disciplined and I'm getting stuff done because I very much know that the flip side of that, of that not happening is, uh, scary. <laughs> very scary i'm like well what is what what am i gonna do if i can't do what i'm doing now you know right right definitely um last thing i want to hit on was the uh you know like you said you you know you entered management you started helping out bands you started building uh you know your company from that perspective uh the thing that struck me about you know what you did from a a, a management and professional perspective is that uh you know there was no um pretending that you knew everything there were times where you were just like i don't know anything about this but like that's you know why i either am working with people who know a lot about this um or uh you know you'll you'll do your own research or whatever you know you're able to walk in there being like you know i i i'm on the same playing field as you i'm not like this sort of informational advantage over everybody and truthfully too the idea that you know, a lot of people that have been in the industry for a long time kind of stick to what they know and then don't learn anything else. But you also have struck me of a person that was continually learning about stuff. Um, is that just kind of how you are sort of hardwired as a person or is that kind of a symptom of the fact that, you know, you don't want to be, I guess, left behind from a business perspective? Yeah. Early on, it's early on. It's impossible not to feel like you you can't ask questions. Like you go, like, I can't, I don't know how to do this, but I feel like if I ask a question to the person that knows how to do it there, that's going to send a red flag that I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, and, but what you, what you quickly learn is that people that know how to do stuff love to talk about how they know how to do stuff, <laughs> you know, like people, people that know how to do something that you don't know how to do. Whenever you ask them, they love to talk about it. And so it really removes that, that, that level of insecurity where like, Oh, oh man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna drive attention to myself that I don't know what I'm doing. And that's, it's totally not true. I mean, as long as you're a cool person and, and, and the questions that you're asking are remotely educated and, and focused into, what the answer needs to be is so that you can propel yourself. People love helping other people. I, I do, you know, like, and, and, and so, you know, it's removing that, like I said, removing that insecurity from the situation so that you can go into that and not be so, not be so afraid of, of asking. But yeah, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I'm always learning. I feel like I'm, I feel like, you know, it's like, you know, like a shark, 
right? Like it's, it's like if a shark stops swimming, it sinks. And I, and I, and I kind of feel that way about myself where it's like, I'm constantly trying to ingest information and, and then I'm constantly trying to, um, put that information into bite-sized chunks that I can use daily because just reading a book isn't going to do anything right. Like a, like a, a business book or whatever. It's not going to do anything because I, I, I don't feel like if, if there's no app, if there's no education without application. So, so whenever I have, whenever I find things, I, I, I discipline myself in a way to where I kind of really whittle those things down into a digestible, uh, a digestible item that I can use. Cause w- once I start using it, then I know that I'll get better at it. Um, and, um, but yes, I'm, I'm constantly like on the search for what's, what's around the corner. What's next. I question everything. Like, like, why do we have to put out records this way? Or why do we have to tour this way? Or why, why does a t-shirt have to cost $5? And like, like I'm, I'm, I'm constantly questioning everything and trying to find new ways and uncover new ways to, to do the same old thing. Because I feel like that's the beauty of the, of the digital age, right? Is like, there's just so much, there's just so much out there available, like at our fingertips that weren't there before is, you know, there, there's answers out there to uh, help us do things more efficiently and to be better at it you know so um i don't know if that's an answer to your question i kind of rambled there but um but yeah there's yeah. my answer well no i mean it may, it, i i think the, the the core of it is that you know you uh want to learn you you definitely because you know i think some people when they get they reach a certain point not only in their lives but maybe in their professional career they always act like they you know know everything and you know they may let's you know using random examples where it's just like you know when myspace and social networking comes along um you know people are just like oh whatever we don't need to worry about that and then like you know they're you know a year and a half later they're left in the dust where it's just like oh crap like maybe we should have worried about that um and and i think you know people such as yourself pay attention to that where it's just like okay if this is a thing that people are using then we need to pay attention to this thing as opposed to acting like you know everything you know yeah i mean it's like it's like a seth godin uh quote that i'm gonna like bash up real bad but like it's to paraphrase he's like there's no guarantees there's only opinions meaning that no one knows everything and people with an attitude of like they're smarter than you or they or that they know everything it's like you can just sniff those people out because you know that they're full of shit and they're just insecure for whatever reason because no one knows everything you know and 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 that's the thing is like as honest as i am with myself along my whole career i have to continually be honest with myself that man like there's you don't know anything you know, and, and you need to get out there and you need to learn. And the only way to learn is to, is to do it. And, and it's like I said, it goes back to what I was saying about like being in a band. It's just like, man, like you, you can't overanalyze it. You just got to go out there and you got to do it. And you, and if, and if it sticks, it was, it was meant to be. And if it doesn't, Hey man, like you tried. And, and that's all I do is like I get up every day and I just try to, to, you know, do something better and make a second dollar and, and, and try and, you know, that's, it's, it's all you can do. It's all, it's all really any of us can do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, in, in closing, the last thing I wanted to, uh, hit on was the, um, I'm sure there were there are moments that you kind of reflect on in uh, you know either your music performance career or like music management career, um, those surreal things where it's like, 
oh wow, um, like this is this is weird. The thing that I you know advised a person on a year ago is now in everybody's hands, and you know they're playing a sold out show or whatever. Um, do you have the Do you have those kind of things? in your head uh that you know you continually like reflect on where it's like wow that was a really cool you know accomplishment um it it can be something as as minuscule as like i said just you know a moment where you walked out on stage and played in front of a lot of people um or like i said releasing a record uh with an artist you manage um do you have things that you that you know you can kind of you always think about or are at the top of mind Uh, And I feel like those things change constantly, like something that I would have patted myself on the back about five years ago is no longer a good idea because that's how fast this industry is currently moving. Um, uh, You know, I, I feel like the second I start doing that, whenever you start to have signs of complacency, that's bad. That's a bad sign. And anytime that I recognize that, I got to go, whoa, 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 dude. Like you got to like, you got to like, you got to back off. Like you got to like throw that out the window right now. And you got to focus on what's going on right now. And you got to focus on tomorrow because any strategy or anything that I've done successfully, good, good for me. However, like you got to take what got you there and you got to put that towards tomorrow because you can't you can't replicate like whenever you're dealing with artists that put out records every two years man like a lot happens in two years and you can't replicate what you did previously you gotta think of something brand new and um and stuff so uh no no not really you know what i mean like no not really there's no there's no real answer to that other than it's like you just gotta be you got to be looking around and you got to be absorbing the things that are coming into our lives and you have to be uh, improvising and adapting. Uh, th- th- those are, those are big ones. I think it's a, I think it's a Marine uh, like staple of like improvise, overcome and adapt. And uh, I always, uh, I always try and implement that thought process into what I do. Sure, sure. So basically, you're saying you don't you don't appreciate anything, Blasco. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, dude. That was yesterday. Today's today. Can't can't uh, can't rest on any laurels, even if it's may have been twelve oh. hours ago. <laughs> no, no, no. You like I, I can't because like like I said, man. For me, it just makes me like I feel like if I get myself caught into doing that, like I feel like it's going to make me lazy. It, you know? Yeah. And, I, I, and, and I can't do it. Sure. No, I can appreciate that. There's definitely, uh, yeah, that, that feeling of, yeah, you definitely don't want to be, you know, the high school football player talking about his, you know, fourth quarter in his senior year. And like, that's like literally the only thing he ever mentioned. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, man. Like I, I run into those people. Like, remember that keg party that we had in Joe's backyard and your band play? Yeah, I do remember that. But honestly, I haven't thought about it since high school. <laughs> right, right. And, and this is a conversation with some dude that I run into the rainbow like last weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally, totally. You're like, yeah, that's uh, that's in the past, my friend. Sorry. Yeah, I've done a lot since then, but it sounds like you haven't. But hey, man, high five. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, Blasco, thank you so much for doing this. This was uh, fun for me, and I hope uh, you enjoyed it in some respects and didn't feel like it was uh, you know just a rambling waste of time. No, no, not at all, man. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. Well, hello or goodbye. For those of you that tune out like immediately, like I get it. I I definitely do that for a lot of other podcasts where I'm just like, all right, conversation's over. But you're you're always going to have some juicy stuff here at the very end because I tell you what next week's guest is or, um, you know, I tell you other secret stuff that will make your life better. Well, not always, but... 
Yeah, Blasco, great dude, right? And I just love, I love his attitude towards, you know, being a hired hand for a lot of the music projects that he's worked with. It's just so rad because there are people who view their craft as like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, this is a craft. This is, I am a handyman and I'm getting hired to do this piece of work as opposed to, you know, a lot of other people who have this like burning artistic desire and the only way that they can express it is via their instrument. And sometimes, you know, people might lose the forest from the trees where it's like, well, there's other opportunities for you to like, you know, harness your creativity and focus it at somewhere else. And that's exactly what Blasco has done. So thank you very much, Blasco. I appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking to you relatively soon. And uh, so the guest next week is uh, this is a very, very cool one because this is a person who I legit never would have thought to speak to because, um, you know, frankly, I just was like, where well, how do I reach this person? So Jack Grisham from TSOL. I know he's been making a few rounds on other podcasts, um, but he uh, he got it brought to me and I was like, actually, yeah, that's really interesting because TSOL uh, was was huge in my formative punk years when I first started to discover a lot of stuff, uh, you know, that was local. And um, then the Joy Killer was a huge influence on me because that was a record that I was able to purchase through Epitaph and was like, oh, yeah, like this is really cool. And then, you know, I was like, oh, it's the same guy that sang for TSOL. It's like all those little narrative threads that you can pull together in your adolescent brain and be like, wow, this is really cool. This guy's still involved. So, yeah, I went over to his house and uh, I mean, that I can't I was just as I was knocking on his door, I was just like, wow, this is really, really weird that this podcast would lead me to this guy's doorstep. But anyways, Jack Grisham from TSOL is on the show next week. And um, yeah, so please be safe, everybody, because the world is is frankly fucking mad right now. And uh, I hope that you are finding some solace in something, whether it's friends, family, art, whatever it is. And then also using your voice to speak up against the shit that you just don't want to let stand. Please do that, because that's the only way that uh, we as human beings are going to push against the stuff that we don't like, which, frankly, is kind of this whole administration. So there we go. And I will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, JabberjawMedia.com. Shh.